Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Anyway, yeah. so I want to hear about oh your gosh. pilot. It okay. seems like it's going gangbusters. Well, I'm in a pickle because oh. I'm in a real pickle, Gina. Okay. What happened was, see, what had happened was, was <laughs> I entered, there is a, um, a, 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 a contest. They said, okay, write a log line and a, your bio. And if, if people are interested um, and we'll, through this organization I won't mention but because who knows and um, if if you write your bio and your log line and we'll send it to execs and if execs are interested they'll contact you about your project and the deadline was last night and I entered a week ago and this weekend at 1 a.m. I get an email saying um, send us the, the full script <laughs> oh my god that is amazing it is oh, but now you have to write it yeah i get it i get it i get it i started it was like 1 a.m and i'm never up but i happened to be up and i and there was an email and it was like can we you know see the whole script for cold my calls and i was like yes uh, i wrote back the next morning and said good morning and i i i said the truth i said i'm in between drafts i'm incorporating notes from my mentor which is true and i will have it to you as i'm madly working on it and i'll have it to you as soon as possible but yeah i'm <laughs> so i know the log line is good and i know the yeah. bio what is, works what is the log line let's hear the it. Log, um okay when Bridget Lopez, up and coming, up and coming entertainment executive and champion of the Me Too movement, is blackmailed by her former former disgraced boss, she hires him as her assistant so she can keep her part in the crimes a secret. I love it. I oh, so jam packed. It, it is gives so much information in such a pithy way. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I want to read it too. Yeah, so you will, you will when 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 it's done. <laughs> I'll send it on over. But so what? What's happening now with me is I'm just in 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 total like oh, and and I wrote to my mentor and told her what happened. She's like, congratulations, you've set up quite a challenge for yourself. You can do it, and it's going to be hard. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you yeah. are correct. She didn't say anything like so. I I guess my question to you is I don't know I or I I just feel like this must happen in Hollywood where people pitch ideas and the thing isn't written I I would assume oh I think that happens mostly 99% okay. of the time because um I have heard so many stories from people who say they'll pitch 12 ideas and then they'll the whoever somebody will buy the idea that they literally thought of in the moment that they were sitting there in the meeting and then they're like, oh, shit, now I have to go write this. Right. I think that I think it's the norm, really. Okay. I mean, and they didn't say to you, send it to us immediately, did they? No, they just send, send it over. Yeah, and send it I over. said, I will. So that's what I'm doing, Beans. I, I you know, so exciting. It is exciting. And it's and it's it's interesting to to sit down on the, my balcony and actually do the work. And I find that 
I get really close, literally, like I'm typing really close and I'm doing the thing. And then I have to step away. I have to get, I have to, it gets too much. And then I get up and go walk around and do some weird stuff. And then I go back and sit. So that's how I write. I don't know how you write, but I get really into it and then it's too much. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I have to step back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So tell me what the, mm, is it literally just the mechanics of sitting down and making sure you have whatever it is, 45 pages? Is it that you don't totally know where the story is going to be? Is it that you have one, you know, like, like what we found in our pilot is we have these really strong characters we have a very strong setting and the plot was the is the harder part. And that's, that's definitely true for me. Plot is my weakest, which is yeah. kind of funny to say like, okay, well the plot is sort of everything. I, agreed. But I feel the same is. way. I have the same. I mean, I think I have. Yeah. So, so I know these characters inside and out. I like we did with, like we do with Kiki. It's like, but yeah, I don't know exactly how they're going to get, to where they're going i know where i know for the most part where in the pilot they end up but it's it's um for me it's sitting down and doing an outline and and getting it all and i had no cards and so it's like you know it's just doing the thing sitting it's two things plot meets sitting my butt down and doing the thing it feels so and i wonder underneath if it's vulnerable you know vulnerability but on the outside it feels so uncomfortable like i'm like literally trying to um uh, um get dressed in a sweater that's a little too tight and um sit down and and just do the thing like just do the thing and you know it's interesting My sister in high school was someone who procrastinated. She was an A student, but procrastinated. And then she would wait to the last minute and then scream and yell literally and start freaking out and then get it done. So I feel like that my version of that is like, okay, getting up, having to walk around, drinking some, drinking something, a lot of seltzer water, getting back out, you know, eating an almond. And it's like, it getting my butt in the chair for, and then, you know, is, is hard, is hard. And I, I dance around it. I'm wrestling with it. And so yesterday I really just started pounding it out. The, the, the outline is pound, pounded out and now I'll send it to my mentor and she'll look at it. And, but, um, it's, it's wrestling. I, I saw this hashtag and it was wrestling with words indoors. And that's how <laughs> I feel about this, even though I'm on the balcony. So mine's wrestling with words on the balcony. And it, in Stephen King in his book that we love, you know, on writing says, make sure you have a door. And so my nook doesn't have a door. So the balcony does have a door. So like, that is, that's where I find my spot. And since it's California, I can write out there all day, but like, whoa, Gina, whoa. Patton Oswalt said a great thing about writing. He was talking about when his wife was writing, I'll be gone in the dark. And he, you know, he sounds like he was incredibly supportive of her and they have a child together. So they would make these arrangements when she was going to write. And he said, you know, you need whatever it is. She needed six hours, eight hours, or maybe it was, oh, a weekend. Actually, she had taken a weekend. 
not because you're going to sit for 48 hours straight and write, but because of all the things you have to do to get into the frame of mind of writing, which is really, really true. Because once it's there, once you're in the flow, you could pretty much do it all in one sitting. It's, but it's getting there. And yes. And I think that's why it's good you're coming because we'll be in a room and we'll have a set and we can just and we'll do that. Or like if we set aside time, I think I do better with deadlines and parameters. So my you know, my mentor's right. I did. I set up this challenge for myself because and Miles was like, was like, you know, my husband was like, you know, it may never have gotten done if you didn't set up this challenge for yourself knowingly right. or unknowingly, you know, to do that. And I said, all right, okay. I, yeah, I, that's a very good point. I think, yeah, I think it's going to, even if whatever comes on the other, by the way, was this the whole contest, just the log line thing or send it to us? It was just, it was a log line. I, I'm so ridiculous that I thought it was literally just a log line contest. I didn't understand <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. Like I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I just loved the idea. I know you don't want to say the name of, but like, are you sending it to a production company? No, it's a, it's a, it's an organization that helps writers, links writers with management and with production companies. Got it. So I thought this in my head, I'm thinking, oh, they'll send my log line and that to execs down the line and, and, and down the line an exec might say, oh, this sounds good. Let me email. But instead I got an email from the organization immediately saying, and I was like, oh, okay. So I guess the bottom line is too, for me to know that like things don't always look like you think they're going to look and you, and, and it just, that's how life is. Like I, 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 uh, yeah. 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 Just know that things come out of the woodwork that you're like, oh, I I didn't even think of that. I literally was at a high school reunion type party on Saturday and I never stay up past 930 and I was up at one and I got it and I I was talking to someone and I was like, I just got a weird email. They were like, oh, and they, everyone was kind of drinking and stoned at this party except me. And anyway, the point is I was like, oh yeah, things don't look like you think they're going to look. ETHS. Oh my God. Party in California? Yeah. So there are tons of Evanstonians in Los Angeles, apparently. And Jeffrey Brown was there, um, who we've had on this podcast. And other people were there who live in LA. And I didn't want to go, but but I thought, you know, because I'm so and, and and my reasons are so vain, Gina. They're so vain. They're not like I they're like, I look fat and I don't want anyone saying, Oh my God, what happened to her? That mm-hmm. is it. If I'm totally honest with you, it's not like I feel ashamed about my career. It's none of that. But yeah. I was like, you know what, Chen? You know what? What the heck? Come on, you're 45 and and that's valid if you don't want to go, don't go. But is it really all that? Like we were saying about self-centered fear. Is it really all that? Can you get out of the way? Maybe you'll like these people now or like Yeah. So I went. I couldn't believe it. I went by myself. Miles was like, "Go ahead." I went. I I I said, "What can you do to make yourself feel better? What can I do to make myself feel better about it?" So I dressed up and I was like, "Let me go and let me see how these people are. And it was hilarious and fun. And other people look, you know, have put on weight or lost hair or whatever. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. And I had a blast and I stayed up till 2am. I've never stayed up till 2am in years. Um, But I, I relate to your 
hesitate i would have had the same exact hesitations about going and it's yeah i'm learning a lot about my self-centered fear and it's um it's among other things it's such a waste of my time and uh not to mention it's like not great for the people who are in my my life you know so well the other thing is like people don't know for me like what is going on so so it, it comes across as, oh, she doesn't want to come to this party because she's better than us or she's or whatever they that's their dance. But I don't want to come across. That's not the reason. The reason is I'm embarrassed about the way I look and that I don't have a house. Right. I don't mm-hmm. own a house. The things that come up are I don't have what is going on with my career. Is there a career? Um, we don't own a house. And. That's and 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 uh, you know and I, I'm whatever size I am. So that's that's it. You know that's it. That's the truth. If you tell me, ask me to tell the truth, that's the truth of the situation. But I went anyway, and it was it was fine and lovely. And also, look, everyone's drinking and doing their own thing. They're not thinking about me and my waistline, dude. And I was just gonna say they ought to have at the door when you check in on your name tag you just write like the top three reasons you didn't want to come to this reunion yeah (laughs) and and then you and then you'd pair off or get into subgroups of people who all had the exact same thing like there's so many people who are saying I don't have a house I'm not anywhere in my career I don't like the way I look and it's like yeah we have this thought that we're gonna go and, and they're all going to be exactly right. like they were at 17. Right. And you're the only one who's aged or right. whatever. But of it's course, not it's true. not that. And yeah. also, like like we know with fear, everyone's thinking about their own waistline or their hairline or their, or exactly. their, their bottom line, whatever. <laughs> there you go. Waistline, hairline, hairline bottom, bottom line. line. <laughs> hey, let me run this by you. The thing I wanted to run by you is, um, you know how when people get older, they're, there's a stereotype that they're like more curmudgeonly? Yeah. Well, I'm already pretty curmudgeonly. And so I'm evaluating how far I want to go with this. Okay. <laughs> in my old age. Like, yeah. I'm a bit of a misanthrope. I'm less of a misanthrope when I'm feeling better. Like just, you know. But my baseline is I'm like cynical and, you know, I have all these faults. Okay. I'm just wondering, you know, I I had a thought at one point, oh, I'm going to get real like spiritual one day and I'm going to just become this nice person that I've never been. I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, I might get spiritual, but it's not going to turn me into a nice person necessarily. You're more the Annie Leibovitz. No, what's her name? Fran Leibovitz type. You're the Fran Leibovitz type. Yes. Not as hardcore as her, but yeah, I'm more like... Let's let's come over here and judge something. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's not great. I don't like it, but I also don't know what else to do. No, I think I think that um, right. I think that that is part of who you are, and I think it makes you who you are. I don't think it's dangerous. <laughs> I think that it becomes like if you become like a you know like a hobbit or I don't know like a hermit a hermit, hermit not a yeah. hobbit. <laughs> Either one would probably not be great. Not the greatest, but like a hermit, a hoarder hermit is probably not, but I don't, 
don't think you're headed there. I just think that you have, right, you have ingrained in you a certain kind of thing that I think the only way through, and it's not as though you're like, you know, you yell at people on the street and stuff, you know, like, it's not that, it's internal curmudgeonly, and maybe your closest people see the curmudgeon, but I don't know. I, I, I always, and maybe this is why we're such good friends. I love a curmudgeon and I'm really good with curmudgeons. Like I don't, I don't, I think curmudgeons are hilarious and, (laughs) and also, um, I'd rather be stuck in a room with a curmudgeon than, um, good vibes only person. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. For sure. Uh, And I'm, I'm the same way. I'm also very good with, with, with a fellow curmudgeon. Um, it actually, when I'm with another curmudgeon, it makes me like more positive. (laughs) Yes. You're, you're the more positive of the curmudgeon. And I, I think that that's fine. And I also know that like, just knowing the work that you're doing in terms of your organizations with, with, people that can be difficult sometimes and we're all in those relationships that the way that you come at that work is not a way is a good way like you are working to me is a helpful way is you're you're you are interested in change so I think if you weren't interested in change Gina I would be like okay yeah this is gonna be bad but you are interested in change and you and so I think that that's the Yeah, I'm very interested in change. And part of what's spurring this thought in me is because I have the occasion to work with so many elderly people, one of whom I got into quite a conflict (gasps) with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I called somebody to try to, I said, let's, we're having a communication problem. Let's try to clear it up. And it started out like that. And I think this person is, um, fundamentally incapable of accepting responsibility for anything so it just turns everything into a big victim sesh and um you know it's really fascinating when sometimes when other people are spinning out i i just feel like i feel more calm when 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 the other person is spinning out i i think i used to get really spun out by a person who was spitting out. And now I just think, okay, so you're having a really hard time, right? It, it, it gives me actually a lot more compassion than, you know, it might otherwise, if she, if she was holding it together, I might've gotten more spun out myself, but she was so off the rails. And I thought, you know, I, I, when I'm that age, I want to be in a place where no matter how upset I'm feeling, when somebody from a you know semi-professional organization calls me, I can keep my cool. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Even if it's something yeah. that's really triggering to me, right? You know, you just got to keep your cool, man. Yeah. I, I just yeah, she, it, yeah. She's done no. She hasn't done the kind of work, or it's not showing that that she can um, regulate. She can't regulate. Yeah, and you know what's interesting several times now she's raised this thing about like who her dad was and I'm like oh my god you're in your 60s or whatever and you're still talking about your dad it's not a good look it's and she brings it up so often I, I she must think it means something like oh well if your dad was that then I guess I don't have a problem with you 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that just reeks, because I've done that, not that my parents were any, but when I've done that kind of thing, it's because I am feeling so weak and so, so less than, so less than, like the dirt under someone's foot that I'm grasping at straws to try to get out from under the foot that I think I'm under. And it is so transparent and it is so sad. And, and especially now that I'm 45 years old, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe if my parents were something fancy schmancy, but even now, what am I, who can, they're dead. Who can, what? Yeah. And I have to say like this person's father is not anybody I know. It's, (laughs) it's, It's just like, you know, right. It's grasping at straws. It's grasping at straws. I I don't think you're going to become anything like that. I mean, who knows? Time will tell, but I have a feeling that if you were going to be that sort of spun out, you would be, these are people that are spun out in their forties. They're just, you don't spin out. I think you might do a a different number on yourself, but I don't think it's going to be curmudgeon oh curmudgeons are cute curmudgeons can be cute and as far as you I think the the thing that's going to happen ripen for you is you're going to be less and less um controlled by your self-centered fear and I think you're gonna be able to relax into the beautiful eccentric that you that you really are you know and and be able to not only go around and feel okay about yourself but spread your joy to the world because you're a joyful person thank you I I really appreciate that Today on the podcast, we're talking with Leslie Ivory. Leslie is someone who is um, from the U.S. but went to acting school in England. And she shares what it's like to be from another place, going to a school in a foreign country, and what their school system was like there, and also dealing with the pandemic and graduating and all of this madness and what she's doing now. She's super powerful. She's super strong. And she's someone who adores a good villain. And that's someone we adore. So please enjoy our conversation. Conversation with Leslie Ivory. Apocalypse Pantry, and I get converted. In. <laughs> I just converted into a sound booth. <laughs> oh, that's perfect! I love that. But yeah. now, what do you use for your pantry? Oh no, it's still here. There's still shelves. Oh. Okay, okay, good. You just put, yeah, you yeah, just put yeah, the exactly. blankets yep. in front. Nice. Well, yeah. it's so nice to meet you, Leslie. You I, I, you know, as I was telling Boz, I, she, her name is Jen, but I call her Boz. Yeah. Uh, that I'm I heard you speaking on Clubhouse that's yeah. that's the extent of how I know you so whatever you said must have really impressed me because, oh good uh, <laughs> to reach out to you immediately I'm so glad you did so congratulations Leslie you survived theater school oh my god <laughs> you survived by the way the fanciest theater school we have ever had an alum she went to royal central school of speech and drama where like seriously some of my favorite judy dench and sir Lawrence olivier and harold pinter my favorite playwright like oh wow yeah there's some big wigs i don't know what i was doing there (laughs) i'm sure you were learning to be an amazing actor so how did how did you land over there you know, I I knew I've always wanted to have go to school in the UK. I was a kid and I was seeing these British actors and I was like, that's it. 
that's the goal. There was something about just the British style of training that I just knew I needed. I just, it connected with me. And so I, I set my heart on it, man. And I was, I was going to get there one way or another. And so I, you know, I, I got my undergrad degree and I moved back home and I was like, all right, what's the next step? What's happening? I needed something else to do. And I said, all right, it's England, it's time. Um, and so I just put a plan in place. I auditioned to three places and that was it. I just decided, <laughs> just went for it. <laughs> that is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, did you, you applied to three all overseas? Yeah, I applied to Oxford, uh, Royal Conservatory of Scotland, and then Royal Central. So you were yeah. not messing around. I was ready. <laughs> and how do they handle, I guess you must have done your audition on, on telepath, not telepathic. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> what a dream that would have been. <laughs> like, yeah. So because you just graduated, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was probably about two or three years in between. Oh, you mean from, from central? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you're somebody who can tell us more about what modern auditioning processes are like. Yeah. So actually I did all of my auditions in person because I, I know I'm, I'm insane. I had never, I've never been there before. And I was like, well, I might as well go and see what it's like. And there's something to be said about auditioning in person you feel the energy in the room it's so much feedback and I knew that was just that was the key so I went I went over to all three places for my first round my second rounds were were um over Skype but um uh, and then of course the second half of my school ended up just being all over Zoom so that was right that was oh, what a bummer you know I loved it <laughs> I did. And here's why. When I was in classes, we were all, it was like about 20 of us. We were all together in one room for like 12 hours straight with a 45 minute break in between. It's intense. It's a lot. There's no escape. You can't go have just a minute to yourself, which is nonstop. But at home, I could step away. I could breathe. I was in my living room. I could like leave the session if I needed just a mental break. I mean, I loved it. It really was wonderful. Uh, okay. Yeah. Do you now? Well, maybe you're highly adaptable. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 yeah, no, maybe. We'll say. I think good. you're highly adaptable. I was going to ask about the audition process itself for, for schools. Did you yeah. do, did you do, what did they have you do? Monologues, scenes? How did it work? Yeah. So Oxford, you needed a Shakespeare monologue and then you needed a contemporary monologue. That was the weirdest audition I've ever been to. Why? Well, it, first of all, it's the middle of nowhere. So they take you out on the shuttle bus and you go to like this farm that's like an hour and a half outside of the city. And, so, <laughs> and there were all these strangers like, crammed into a little bus. And actually my audition, no one could find the bus. So I'm with like a few other people and we're like, who's picking us up? Like none of us are from Oxford. So once we actually found the bus, that was already, so we entered the audition just like freaking out. So we get there and there's about 40 of us there and they hoard us into this, you know, this black box theater. And they're like, okay, we're going to warm up. And I want you to think about a scene from your favorite play that you saw on stage. And I want you to paint the scene with your body, pretend like you're an artist. And so we're like rolling around on the floor and wiggling and trying to make sense of it. Like it's actually going to get us into school. <laughs> so that was awesome. It's, <laughs> it's like, if I wiggle just the right way, these just people the right are going to be like, she, is a star it. yeah <laughs> and then, and then I, they explain it afterwards so you're just like bullshitting your way trying to be like oh yeah I knew exactly what I was doing <laughs> yeah I was uh, I was I did a good job of acting like I knew exactly what I was doing 
So doing a Shakespeare monologue at Oxford. Okay. And the top 10 list of daunting things, that that seems to rank kind of high. Just a bit. And the whole time they're just kind of staring at you. No emotion. They're just staring. And you're like, okay. Okay. What did you do? What did you do? Do you remember what? Of course I did. I did, I, <laughs> I did Henry the Sixth. I did Queen Margaret. So mm-hmm. this is her like rallying her troops. She's ready to fight, going to battle. That's my kind of woman. So that's what I did. Now on the other hand, when I auditioned at Scotland, it was just me in the room. I also did Shakespeare. And can I tell you, they were cheering me on. There's like two pants. They were screaming, y'all. Oh my God, I had the best audition. I mean, they were just, it was the most supportive group. They were just wonderful. And that was, that was like stark contrast. So I'd much rather audition to Shakespeare in Scotland than in Oxford. Good to know. Good to know if I ever meet Shakespeare again, I'll go Go right to to Scotland. Scotland. I'm going to skip Oxford. (laughs) Don't even, don't even go there. Yeah. But, um, but my audition for Central was, it was just it was just a monologue, actually. Um, it could be anything you want, contemporary or not, just winner's choice. And um, when I actually, I was on the audition panel when I was in the course, and there are a lot of fleabag monologues. I'm just going to say, stay away from the fleabag monologues. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we have five out of the 20. <laughs> and after a while, it's not, it's not going to, it's not going to go well. It's not cute. It's not cute. And like, it's such a particular voice that Phoebe Waller-Bridge has. And because she wrote it for herself. She didn't write it for you. Right. And so it's not going to sound authentic and genuine. So that's just just something to keep your, you know, keep your ear to the floor about. Um, so you said you did a very, um, or, or the, the, the character choice, you picked a really bold character. And on your website, it's, you said that that's what you're into. So you have, have you always known this about yourself? Like what your preference would be in acting? You know, this pandemic has really um, been so enlightening because what I've learned is how specific I need to be and how I put myself out there. I think when they when you're, in, when you're in school, they say, well, be adaptable, do anything, morph into any character and role. And that's great, but it's not helpful when you need to be casted in something or when you're working with, you know, directors and casting um, agents. And so this year has been really about solidifying exactly who I want to be in the world, what characters those are, instead of allowing other people to put me in those places. But what I realized was that over time, yeah, I was playing those kind of bold, loud, I mean, I'm 5'2", but you never know if I'm in this scene, you know? <laughs> so I was, I was navigating toward those characters anyway, but this year was a matter of ch- taking control over who I was being when I'm on stage or on screen. I think that is so brilliant that you got specific. We talked about specificity this morning, Gina and I, and talking about just detail and knowing yourself well enough to know that this is who I am. This is because specifically you had that what I was reading that villains are your jam. Yeah. that is so specific and I love a good villain too. Oh yeah. But I don't know. I'm scared to it's like takes a bold person to play a villain and have a well rounded villain. So why villains? Why why that's a great question. My mom asks me that every day. Every time I watch a movie, I'm trying to villain. She's like, Why? What what's drawing you to the dark side? I don't, I just find them so fascinating. I always have. I don't know. It could be because I found there is more dimension oftentimes when writing a villain. So perhaps that was just drawn to what I like when people are more than just face value. And perhaps it's villains that, you know, well-written villains that can, that show you that. They show that there's more than one side to the story, you know? Um, I just, 
I, I don't know. There's something about the antagonist. It's about just having that dark side but not being afraid to show it. They never care what people think, right? They have a principle, they have actions, and they do it. And they don't they don't care. <laughs> you know, they're they're not living for other yeah. people. They're just themselves, they're authentic, and that's it. It's just kind of in the story. I think I've always, always admired about that. And sometimes the protagonist is always explaining themselves, other people, explaining their actions and their beliefs. And I don't I don't have time for that. And no mm. one should be forced. So, you know, to do that every day of their life. No one should have to explain their existence and villains never have to. Oh, what a great point. And you're also making me realize that there's a greater chance that for a female part, mm -hmm. that there's going to be more texture in a villain, mm -hmm. you know, still, even now you see mm -hmm. a lot of really one dimensional. Because you don't expect women to be angry or have vendettas, right? We're supposed to smile and wave and move on. But when they're the villains, it cuts deep because it's unexpected, even though it shouldn't be. And you know what I love is a good is a good um like anti-hero too. Oh like, yeah. Like a, not, <laughs> someone that mixes all that stuff or yes. who who might appear to be and this is maybe this yes. is something that you could do as well is like who appears to be diminutive 52 mm -hmm. that and then mm -hmm. like unleashes a terror that is <laughs> is I think that's fascinating. I root for those people all the time. Yes, so. same. <laughs> So who are I'm not this this conversation is really cool to me. Who are some of your favorite villains that we've already seen on stage and screen? Um, I'm a big sci-fi and fantasy geek, so I'm automatically gonna go straight there. Um, I am also a big Star Wars fan, so like I love Darth Maul. I mean, he's just a straight villain. I just I don't know, he's so unapologetic. <laughs> and it's just it's wonderful. Um, I love Bellatrix Lestrange because she is just a force of nature. Harry Potter. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Unfortunately, I'm we are so oh, no. we are so out of the I'm loop with that. But I, I'm sure our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, she's just yeah. She's a force of nature, and she's a powerhouse, and she's another one that I just oh, I take too. Um, I don't know who else. Oh, have you been able spot. to play? Have you been, been? Have you played straight up villains in school or in in theater? Not not straight up. I, I've always played the ones like a hint of darkness or who are seemingly dark, but they're, they still have a more compass and their agenda is still for the greater good, which it's fine, but I have yet to get my like really juicy. <laughs> no. I mean, she, Leslie wants to be killing I'm people. Yes. She wants to be taking no prisoners. It reminds me of, there's a television show, the television show Killing Eve. Yeah. Um, and, and they, those are some oh talk about villains are you into yeah. like like gina said like would you love to play like a killer like with with like an assassin is that your oh absolutely okay. absolutely good to know. yeah, good to know. yeah i'll do i do it all <laughs> and i love that you put that out there on your website you know that just this is what you're into this is what you're good at and your your pictures show that too so Listen about, I mean, you said you listened to, to a couple of our episodes, so you've heard a little bit about, you know, what we're used to in terms of the theater training. Is it pretty universal? I mean, you did voice and, I mean, it's called School of Speech and Drama, but you, so you did voice and speech and movement and yeah, technique and all that? Exactly. We had two different movement classes. Um, there was the episode, I think you're talking to Nick about like the, the push and flick and like punch. We did yes. all that. We did, like, a, we did a whole semester on that. 
<laughs> and I was like, I was screaming. I was like, oh, it's the same everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, lots of movement. One was a movement um, focused on like stage combat and screen combat. One was just breathing and those, you know, those types. It was like lobbing technique or something is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That we had, yeah, we had voice classes. Um, we had dialect classes, which are really nice. Yeah, those are fun. Which half of it was learning American, which was unhelpful to me, but it was still fun. <laughs> and then we had our, our own screen camera class and just our acting techniques and then a script analysis class. Wow. Oh, and then like a casting, kind of mock casting so session. My question about, um, I have this curiosity about dialect since you're in, you're yeah. overseas, you're in, you know, you're doing, um, did you slip into a British accent ever? Did it happen? Because I would I, be like, okay, I feel <laughs> that. And they would be like, no, Jen, no. no, no. I picked up on the mannerisms first. Um, there are like a few words they say here and there. Just That's just constantly in rotation. So that was the first thing I picked up. I never picked up the accent for myself. I felt it was perhaps a bit easier to slip into the accent because I was there, if need be, if yes. called upon. But um, the mannerisms definitely just like silly words or like um, just like slang words. Absolutely. Because oh, it's that just was just my side morbid curiosity about that. <laughs> we can go back to. But yeah, so no, you, it, yeah. Did you, you said you rolled around. We did too. A lot of rolling around and breathing on the floor. It was just semi-supine, which I learned for the first time. That was it. It was just lying on your back. Yeah. Just just lying on your back with your knees up and just breathing. And I remember once after class, our teacher was like, well, what, did you learn anything from it? I was like, I learned that I got nothing from this. I get, I don't know what I'm, what I'm looking for. I don't understand because you're saying to relax and I'm lying in this state and I'm doing the opposite of relax. I'm tensing because I'm trying to relax and I can't relax. And I don't know what the end goal is here. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking for. So me and the voice and movement lessons had a lot of like pushback and just, that was a place of just contention for me. I just, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> That's a great point. And something I don't think we've really talked about, at least not very much on here, is this, there's like a magical quotient in, in theater training that, that it's this joint thing of like, as the student, you feel you don't really know what's going on and you're guessing at it. And it seems like as the teacher, you feel like they're, you're not going to spell it out They're You know, they're going to, there is like this unaccounted for middle space in terms of yes getting it and there's also a part right? of me that looks back and thinks and I'm glad you pushed back because it's like uh I wish they would have just told us what they wanted from us specifically like you know because I'm pretty sure it wasn't for for people who, who had certain parts to get boners and that's what ended up happening and exactly in the movement class so yes. like if that's what yes. you want then great we accomplished that but 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 there is I think there's a magic part of where and 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 maybe it's because it's so hard to quantify and qualify and and compartmentalize what it is to be an artist and especially an actor that they're just it does feel like some classes are grasping at straws. Like it's not magic. It's just vagueness. It's just laziness. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, because when it's magic, we know it's magic. We don't question it, and it happens. Mm-hmm. But if you're constantly like, "What? What's I? Why am I doing this?" That's not magic. <laughs> That's not it's being clear. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and and it's unhelpful. And I think it it really puts you back. And I understand that there's a sense that the teachers want you to grow and figure things out for yourself, and you know, kind of let you grow up. But like I said, I can't grow up from that clear about what there is to grow up about. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Did you feel like the school um, did a good enough job 
preparing you for post graduation? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. I think about that. That hasn't changed. Okay, good to know. <laughs> it's not just me. I think about that all the time. I just, it's so infuriating because acting in the modern age is so much more than how I look on screen or on stage, right? It's how to run a business. It's how to network and build relationships. It's what am I headshot? Like, who am I as a person? This is just as important because I can be the best damn actor in the world. But if I can put myself out there, I'm going to sit here on my couch all day and just be unfulfilled. And that's unhelpful. Um, and a lot of the classes that we have, especially like in the latter half where it could you know, where we were still learning the same things or we're doing improv, it should have been business related. It should have been learning when to incorporate, you know, I mean, just, just simple things. So I do not feel prepared. And a lot of this stuff, I am just learning as I go on. I am like on webinar galore. I mean, it's just every week's new webinar. (laughs) I'm just, I'm really, and it is very disappointing, but in the day, you know, I've always been independent. I've always had to kind of figure it out for myself. And I guess this is just no different. It's just unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And I think that it's totally, I think it's because of the conservatory mindset that it is the art that is the thing. But the problem with that is what you just said, which is it's so much more now than just the art if you are to make a living and pay your rent, right? So we don't live in an old model where you, you know, it worked out that you could do theater if it ever did that you could pay your rent. So um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm shocked that it hasn't changed, to be honest with you. Like, Not what at do you, all. What? Well, but though, uh, let me ask you about the real, so the school is very old. It's a it's hundred and something years old, right? So we can assume that for the very most of it, it's been all theater, theater, theater. But did you get camera anything? I did because my course was the only course that was acting for screen. So it was very specific. So every, and now, you know, we're in May. So every other course was all theater, musical theater, voice, but we were only screen. So yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we had, yeah, a few courses that were just dedicated to just working on screen. And even then I can push right because what their on screen class did was we sat in chairs, we prepared scenes, we saw how we looked on camera, but when you're on set, it's, well, how do I go to my mark without staring at my mark the whole time, right? There's so much, how do I keep, you know, keep my face to the camera without looking dead at the camera? Like, how do I make sure it's constantly seeing me? How do I do my block? There's so many questions that I still had post-graduation. So even that felt like a half measure. But yeah, but it, this it was, in theory, specifically just a screen course. I mean, at least you knew what a mark was, for God's oh, sakes. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> I got that much. So you're... So you're doing a bunch of webinars. Are they helpful? And <laughs> what kind of webinars are you doing? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm doing lots of like branding webinars and pitching yourself out. So that's kind of what this project is, like rebranding. Um, those, have actually, those have been quite helpful. What I've learned about webinars is that people are always trying to sell you things, right? But you, but there's still nuggets of information. So the first 30 minutes will be great. <laughs> and you can leave after the last half if you're not in the financial position. So then, you know, shell out the money. Um, so that's, that's also been really helpful. And it's been just self-tapes. Because even though we did self-tapes regularly, because it's become just dominating in our field, there's still so much more to learn and things are changing. So a lot of self-tape webinars have been helpful. Um, just character building over Zoom since Zoom auditions oh, are also a thing right. now. <laughs> so how do you build a character from a you know a half a page script over Zoom and where to look and how do you kind of block yourself in there? Um, oh, so yeah, I think that's, that's kind of, fascinating. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, like you said earlier, it's just about adapting. It's all new territory. And the good thing is that we're all in the same boat. I don't feel like it's just me kind of a fish out of water. We're all kind of figuring out together. So where did you grow up? And did you always do theater, acting, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I all over the place. So I was born in Georgia. My childhood was primarily in Philly, though. Um, and then I went to high school in Blythewood, South Carolina. And then after that, I ran away at 17 and moved to New York, <laughs> came back home and went to London. <laughs> so I'm kind of all over the place. I don't really know where I'm from. It's like a nomad. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, for the most part, I've always done theater. My first theater production was at the Jewish Community Center. And we did Annie. <laughs> and I was cast as Pepper, who was the one mean girl in the whole orphanage. And I was like, that's it. I will be a villain for the rest of my life. I will always be a bad guy. <laughs> Pepper is a badass. Pepper is She's a badass. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And what's funny is that even though I was Pepper in the actual audition or actual play, our director had me sing Tomorrow with Annie. Don't know why. She doesn't have well, because she sing couldn't it. sing it. I can't sing it. <laughs> oh, you but maybe okay. it's like two, at least two people together. Yeah, maybe they'll be distracted. <laughs> That's too bad. Well, Pepper is the only other memorable orphan, That's right? True. Like I don't remember any other orphan besides besides Annie. That's a good That's point. Funny. I never thought about that. That's a very good point. Yeah, um, it's always yeah, interesting. I mean, like Disney villain characters are the, always the most interesting. You know, exactly. You know, best salt numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so did you guys have a showcase for agents at, yeah well, we okay were, she's rolling her eyes <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to we were supposed to have a very large showcase so we filmed these really wonderful short films they were big projects they're outsourced and they're supposed to be a showcase where we show all you know four or five short films at the school everyone comes to this every year everyone gets signed it's a big party etc well at this point you know, the pandemic had hit. Um, so I, I did go back to shoot my film. I had to come back, you know, after once we were locked down number three. But, I, you know, we shot our films. But at that point, we just could not schedule a showcase. And so we ended up having to do a online showcase where the films were shown like on YouTube and some people showed up and so the agents and they're like we're not coming to the online showcase but some agents were like we love it because you don't have to leave our houses regardless <laughs> the signing rate was a lot I think was a lot lower for this class um Aww. it happened in the past it's a shame but you know we move on um, but, but you I, got but signed a, you got signed I did but now I'm stuck in the U.S. and my agent's in the U.K. Aww. and I can't get any work <laughs> Oh, because there's no cross. They, they don't want to. They don't want to um, hire people who have to travel because yeah. of COVID. So where where oh, are you in, located in the universe right this second? Well, I'm I'm in back in South Carolina. I had to okay. come back home. I, I moved back to London and I filmed. I was trying to stay there. I had a few months left of my visa, but then we went to lockdown again, and it just Britain was just getting hit so hard. And I was like, you know, I'm by myself. All my friends kind of scattered to the outskirts of England at that point because everyone was kind of you know rushing to get home and and be safe. And I was like, I'm just I'm sitting here by myself paying all this rent. Uh, there's no point. So I, I ended up coming back home a few months early, which is so heartbreaking. But um, I'm here and I'm comfortable and I'm like getting my shit together before I re-enter the world. <laughs> and I'm learning to be patient. <laughs> That's very smart. Yeah. That's very yeah. smart. So do you uh, 
have additional skills like you're into writing or directing anything like that i love to do all of that a lot of it is just gonna take time i need to just hone um those skills but i do i have all these like unfinished stories (laughs) that are just sitting on my laptop that i would love to just create content just for myself and for others just while we're here um and i would love to direct but i think i would love to direct theater before i ever direct anything on screen because that that's my background that's kind of my first love and i can just see it a bit more clearer so maybe once everything starts back up I'll do theater Uh, I'm currently doing like an audiobook narration course as well so hopefully that'll be yeah I love audiobooks yeah I mean it's a and and it's a way I mean it's a way to to do what you're doing make money and during the pandemic yeah it's a hustle let's talk about your New York years because that's really interesting to me you you ran away to New York and it said you spent your irresponsible drinking years in New York City (laughs) which is I spent my those years in Los Angeles same thing um but 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 so tell me how do you how did you end up there and and you ended up working at a theater off Broadway a big theater did I New York was like the UK I was like I want to go to New York and so I went my parents were like great go for it do it so I graduated high school and um I maybe waited a month after graduation and I went up to New York (laughs) by myself and I was I was I was ready to take it on my storm and so um I knew I wanted to go get my undergrad degree there. But what I did is that I took a year off and get in-state tuition because it was so much cheaper. So I just worked for a year, got my in-state tuition. I went to school there. And um, the director that I was working with was joining the theater program at school. He was already involved with Off-Broadway. And so he was started this, um, the part of this new company. It was the first year. They're called Masterworks Theater Company. And their, their goal was to revive classical theater works with the diverse cast so and to make it affordable and accessible for students for new york city students and i was like that's everything that i like am looking for in my life that's exactly those are all just they just match my ethos um and so he brought me on board to work for the general manager that was there and i just kept that relationship and so just working with them and just learning so so much just from being inside while in school just I don't know, leave classes, go there, work. And over the years, I just met people and was able to keep working back with them and just got hired for working shows and just in different positions. And I was able to kind of just build my way up. Um, just just start from one person. <laughs> Your work ethic is amazing. How did you, yeah, you. yeah and, and how did you get so, um, where do you think your bravery or your boldness comes from? Like in terms of being like, I'm going to freaking go to New York City at 17 on my own. Yeah. My first of all, my work ethic comes from my dad. Absolutely. He is the hardest worker I know. And not only does he work hard when he shows up, he's so generous and supportive with this, his time. And I think that I saw growing up and I, I love it. You love, I love how people just took to him. He's just so open and generous. So that I definitely got just my work ethic from him. And I think my bravery death from my mother. She's always been like the black sheep of the family. She just does what she wants to do. She's always kind of going against the grain. And that I've always admired as well. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I just took to that. And it helps because I have such a strong support system that when I've had these crazy ideas, like I'm going to go to New York 17, they're like, go for it. Do it. Don't head back. We got you. Yeah, <sighs> that's actually the most surprising it part is, of it. It is. It is because everyone around me, especially like in high school, you know, all my classmates, we're in South Carolina. All my classmates would go maybe as far as Georgia, maybe North Carolina. For the most part, everyone goes to the, the university that's here. That's it. They don't leave. And I think at that point, I was able to see that and say, no, 
that is I, I I am not proponent for conforming and be like everyone else. That is not how I was raised. And so I had the same thing. Did you? I had the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So part of that was just needing to just be different and just have my own just path from what I was seeing around me. So, but is there theater in South Carolina? Is there a theater there scene? Is there's a really small theater scene? Actually, when I moved back home right before London. I ended up got cast. Um, as an, I got outsourced and got cast in a, a play that was part of the university's graduate program, which was fantastic. It was so, so great. We did The Revolutionists. Um, and it was wonderful. But yeah, there's a small, there's like a maybe two or three local community theaters that are here. I think they've got hit a little hard just because of the pandemic. So there's, you know, as most local theaters have, so they're slowly starting to come back. But there is, there, there's a good little scene here. What's the revolutionist? I haven't heard of that before. Oh, so it's set during the French Revolution and it's based off of actual historical just female figures of the time and they're all just pushing for reform in a world where men are asking for you know cut everyone's heads off and one is a writer um one is just an activist and so my character was actually from haiti from saint-domingue and she's pushing for you know abolitionists and it's just these four women and one's an assassin <laughs> i mean it's just four women who kind of band it together who are like you know things need to change i mean it's so relevant today right but it's just things need to change and we have to use our voices and our, our written work and our skill, whatever we have to, to help promote that change. Uh, it's, yeah, it's wonderful. It's like required reading. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read it. What about, um, I have a question for both of you. I'm just sitting here thinking, because it's clear that you're, how do you know when you're a good actor? This is such a weird question. <laughs> but like, it's clear you're a good actor, right? And is there, do we, is it an internal thing that just feels like I'm on it? You know, like, how do you know when you're in the moment? I, it's a question for both of you because I don't know. It's a hard question, but I just thought of it because I bet you're good. I've never seen you. I've never seen you uh, uh, on film or on stage, but I would, I would guess that you're great. And part of that is that what I'm getting from you is the uh, bravery and confidence, right? So is it all just confidence? But no, there's training too. I don't know what I'm asking. It's a crazy question. um, How do you know when you're good at something? Oh, Gina, you want to take this one? (laughs) Well, I, I, what I, what popped to my mind when you asked the question is just very personally, like when, when have I ever felt when I'm doing it, like this is it? And it's weird for me because it it's a feeling that, I mean, I haven't acted very much lately, but it's a feeling that's elusive. And it just, it does seem like there's no telling what's going to lead up. So I just, I, I have specific moments on stage where I feel totally dropped in and I think, yeah, this is it. But I've had a lot more moments <laughs> where I think, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not in my body. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing next. This is terrible acting. So I like it. Maybe that speaks to more of the, the you actually, Leslie, you mentioned earlier, like everybody knows magic when they feel it. It does feel sort of magical when it happens. It's great. I just, I don't know what I don't know is how people reliably feel like that most of the time. I, that's a, not an experience <laughs> I agree. I don't know. That's a lot of self-awareness, isn't it? Um, and it's so tricky because this industry is almost built upon the foundation of other people telling you you're good or you can do this or you can't do that. So it's a question of how do I know that I'm good at this without relying on <laughs> external sources constantly validating you this whole time? 
I don't know. I, I, I like that it's magic. I think that's great. I think, but it's so hard to, oh, to have that magic, but still kind of be out of it. Like, I, I agree. I've had moments on stage where I'm like, I was not present. I knew I was good, but I was not present because I was thinking about my next line and that was most important and I wasn't connecting, but it was a good performance. So I don't know what that is. Yeah, Um, I don't either. And I think that that's why the reason, a part of the reason I bring it up is because I think we're trying to be trained at a conservatory for that magic that is so elusive. So I'm just trying to say like, gosh, schooling for this craft is insane. It's It's insane. insane. But I mean, it's important. I think it's still important. I just, yeah. And I, I too have had moments on stage or in an audition room where I'm like, I nailed it. And I'm like, okay, well, why did I nail it? How did I nail it? And to be honest with you, 90% of the time, I have no idea why. None. And I'm just wondering, maybe, maybe, maybe the more you do it, the more you can know what that magic uh, special sauce is in the room. I has still have it, which is probably why I don't work well, all the time. <laughs> but Boz, when you did your one woman show, did did it feel? Yeah, she has got a great, oh, hilarious oh. one woman show. But did it feel? Yes, because yes. you were playing yourself. Okay, so like, t- t- tell us. So that. I did a one-person show called a uh, one-woman show called "Why Not Me," and it was about um, it was about love and cancer and my twenties and just. But it is my story about me, um, and so it didn't feel so uh, immediately taking away the uh, rigmarole of saying the lines because who cares? That's done. So I was able to drop into the story I wanted to tell, and I thought it was a very important story to tell regardless of they almost who it was my story to tell but the story took on maybe this is it a story took on a greater meaning emotionally spiritually and service wise to the universe I really felt this is a story I needed to offer so that immediately took me out of the mode of do I look cute am I saying my lines right because I didn't care so maybe that's but for people, so I that experience was so magnificent because it was um, true. It was undeniable, which is what we always say. It was undeniable because it was my thing coming from a very authentic place. But saying someone else's words, right, and still maintaining that undeniability seems like that is the magic special sauce that some people can do. And I bet you can do it. And I'm sure we all can do it at times. But there are some people who consistently have that magic special sauce, whether they're saying their own words or whether they're saying Pinter's words. And that to me is whoa. Yeah, that's so interesting, though, Jen, because think about it is I think when you know yourself fully, when you're self-aware, when you're confident and grounded in yourself, then even if it's someone else's words, there's truth to that. Mm. You find what that truth is and you tap into that. And then you, and then you tell the story for yourself. Even if it's not your story, you connect with some part of the character or of the story you're telling, you take it in yourself and then you share it with the rest of the world. So I think that, I think you're perfectly right. I think that's, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I think well, you, I think you should me. teach classes because you, <laughs> said it, you said it in a way that was really great. It's like if you are authentic and dropped into yourself, then it almost maybe doesn't matter whose words you're saying because you're still the truth will the truth of what you are saying will come out. So maybe there's something about truth yeah. there. I, I think I always just felt like I wasn't telling the truth a lot of time when I'm saying and also I go in a lot for like 
under fives, right? So under five lines on on in on TV shows and films. It's really hard to find the truth in like, but you know, in like yeah. this salsa tastes great. Like that's my line. <laughs> so, I mean, I can get there, but it, it is a different. It's a whole different film and TV is like. Did at your at school did they do? Like, for example, you know, NYU does different studios. You either learn the, like, I don't even like know, there's like experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, what, who, what system or methods did you learn? I don't know. You yeah, know, you know, okay, you know what? <laughs> we didn't either. Ours was a mishmash. Yeah, our, our course leader was very steeped into um, traditional like, Eastern Chinese medicine. And so a lot of her, which I thought was great in theory, but let me finish. A lot of it was very like your meridian pathways and your energy, and your solar plexus and how it's connecting to your partner. And, and yeah, so it, I mean, it was, it was, it was great to think about, not very practical, practical, but it was, it was really great in theory. So it was almost like connecting your kind of higher self and your energy levels with your partner and the scene. And that's, and so, and because she was the course leader, all the people she hired under her for the most part were all pretty much in the same wavelength as her. And that was one of my gripes that I also mentioned when we, when we met on clubhouse was the fact that I was expecting to go to this school where there were, I was learning from teachers all around the world and there are different techniques and practices and methods so that I could pull from all of them, figure out what works and throw away what doesn't work. And then I go and apply. But here there was kind of one way of working and when it didn't work, I was kind of like shut of luck. <laughs> and I had to go find find it for myself. So I mean there, there are pros and cons. It worked beautifully for some, did not work for others. So it wasn't very adaptable, but that was kind of what it was seeped upon, which is interesting. Energy and, I've know. never heard of that. I've never heard of anybody learning from somebody who was uh, yeah. in, interested in Yeah, Eastern medicine. it's interesting. She has it, the book is great. Um The Energetic Performer is her book by Amanda Brennan. And it's a really interesting read. But for me, it was how do I apply this practically in the scene as I'm doing it when there are a million other things in my head that are going around as I'm, you know, performing whatever scene that I'm in. Um but I mean it's interesting. it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. It is an interesting perspective. Did you learn like more just relating it to your own experiences or calling? No, okay, no, that was not part no. Of <laughs> Undergrad, I did Meisner though. Undergrad was very, oh. very steep in Meisner, and I didn't know it was Meisner until someone pointed it out. I was like, oh, okay, great. And then I realized that all my training in theater had just happened to have been Meisner training. Do you like Meisner? Oh. What's your thought on Meisner? I mean, it's fine. I, I don't I, <laughs> I don't have much else to compare it to because it was all Meisner. Right. So I, I don't really know. I've read Stanislavski. I respect it, but I haven't put it into practice. So I'm not really sure how I feel about Meisner. It's worked this far. So I guess I like it. Yeah. 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 What about mentors? Did you have mentors, mm -hmm. one or more? Absolutely. So the one who I my director at undergrad who ended up helping me get you know, all the jobs off Broadway. He's to this day, 100%. He's my best bud. I love him to death. His name is Christopher Scott. If you're in New York, <laughs> he's, um, mm. he's just, he's so wonderful. So he's been like my, my rock just since day one. Um, and actually when I met him, I was in the middle of having what I call my quarter life crisis. And so I was like, screw acting, screw all of this. I was going to transfer schools and go fight terrorism with the CIA just in a spur of the moment decision. <laughs> Wow! Because you were 
Because you really loved Angelina Jolie's yeah, character on the and assault. it was like around 9-11, I went to the site, and I was feeling really fired up, and I was just determined to make a change. And then I met him, and it just I got back on track, and it was fine. But um, Yeah, because yeah, you just wanted to play a CIA I think that's person. What it was. I think I just needed a, an escape. And then what, happened, what I realized was that theater especially with him was that escape that I needed at the time of my life. And it just really worked out. Cause um, I was coming off from my, my grandpa passed away and he was my rock too. So I think it was just a lot of emotions and not really knowing how to navigate those emotions and unregulate them and just understand them. So I was seeking this way out and, and I just ended up being lucky I met him. So it just ended up being just channeling through theater. Did they cut people from your program or like? No. Oh, okay. They, sh- okay. they, sh- they should have cut a few people. <laughs> There's a few people that I was like, I think this, this is toxic. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. There, there is something to be said for, for wh- whether you call it cutting or not, taking people aside and saying, hey, you might need to address X, Y, and Z before you look at becoming an actor, whether it's your mental health, whether it's whatever it is. So maybe not cutting people, but you're right. There, I mean, in terms of some people, if it's toxic, you're not doing anyone any favors by keeping someone in a program. So now, because I always thought, oh, cutting is terrible. It's all terrible. But wait a second. If someone's really not a fit in the program, there is a question of what to do with them. Exactly. And and I don't know if it was a matter of, well, you know, the world is toxic and you have to learn how to deal with these personalities. I don't know if that was the element. But what I'm inclined to believe it was the element of I'm going to avoid confrontation. And so therefore, I'm going to just kind of stay silent or I'm going to say, OK, sure, I hear you and then do nothing. <laughs> and And I should not have been the one taking the initiative, pulling people aside and saying, you're toxic. <laughs> it shouldn't have come from me. And and even though it did, it wasn't heated because at the end of the day, I'm a peer, right? It's right. not coming from our course leader. So no matter how pissed off I get, it only goes so far. Um, wow. So that toxicity remained. <laughs> yeah. So Boss and I are very interested in like what's happening with people emotionally and psychologically while they're in school. Do you, did you note any like shifts for you in terms of your emotional, psychological well-being? Did it get challenged? I, uh, I had a really big shift. I, um, probably in January, so this would have been maybe halfway through our course. I, I, ooh, I had it out with a few people in my class because, um, so we were, we came into the new semester and we had a new project. So the project was that every year they put on, they take a screenplay, right? And we'll do sections of the screenplay and we'll have costumes and we'll have a whole semester on just character analysis and we'll go to like a nice deep dive. So we did the film Bell. Have you seen that with, with Gugu and Bathara? Mm-hmm. So it's a so it's a period piece, and it's about it's set in like 1749, and it's in England, and it's a black woman, and she oh her, yes you, know, her, you saw it right so her yes. father is white, and so her father brings her over to the family, and so she's learning how to navigate this 18th century you know aristocracy as a black woman, and meanwhile you know there's like this big um her. Her, her grandfather he's a, like a supreme court judge and so he's having to deal with this new case of the slave ship that was being drowned intensely or not so he's having to preside over this case so there are all of these at the center of it is race i mean it's about her navigating this world so this was the play we're going to do there are two of us who are who are black women in the course so the, our teachers are like great there's two women they can handle it and then everyone else you know will divvy it up you choose your character we'll go from there so how it started was 
um, actually, our course leader was on vacation during this time. So another teacher stepped in and um, he came to me. He said, okay, just for this project, we're actually going to open up this character of Dido, who is a black woman, to the rest of your female counterparts who are not of color at all. And would you mind sharing your experiences as a black woman to your to your classmate? Uh oh. Uh oh. And, and and let me say this: the person, the, the teacher who was talking to me, I adore him. And immediately, I was like, yes, of course, of course, because he's the person that you just you know, he just do anything for because he's so mm-hmm. genuine, and he and I just really vibe, and it's a great level. And then went home, and then I was like. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I thought I'll call my dad and I was like, Some, this isn't something's not this is not right. This is not okay. And so when I was like going home, I was like screaming because I was like, this because the thing about it is that sure I can share my experiences, they don't they don't give a shit. Because what I learned was that they are more concerned with how many lines were in the play, who was the, or in the screen, who was the lead, who you know, who gets to have the lead. So so you know, we, we went back to teacher and I said no. Um you will not open it up to you, to my my peers who are not of color, because this whole industry is built to exclude people of color, and if they feel excluded, then that's a that's a lesson to be learned for them to take oh. on as they go out in the world. And so they said, that's "Okay, right. you know what? You're right. Let's. You're right. We'll close it off." So we closed it off, and that's when shit hit the fan. So there were protests within our class of, well, well, why can't I play the lead role? It doesn't matter that she's black. Who cares? This isn't about race. Race isn't, doesn't matter. You know, why do you feel that? Why are you angry? Why do you feel that what you do? And and what really got me was the fact that in explaining, I shouldn't have had to explain myself, but in trying to explain to my classmates respectfully why this is an issue, Instead of being heard, I was being, you know, pushed back and shouted at and not listened to. And that's and that that's was the issue for me. There's one thing to to, you know, to educate your your peers or to have a conversation. When you came and let me speak about my own experiences as a black woman, that's an issue for me. So it got to the point where um, we had another person, another uh, employee at the school come into our classes. But at this point, our class was starting just to fracture. So she came into her classes to talk about empathy and race relations and what's okay and what's not okay. And it just blew up even further. And in a discussion where you think people would be like, oh, okay, we understand. It's hard for people of color in the world. No, it was, well, it's unfair because I should be getting this. I mean, it was just privilege. That's all it was, just privilege abound. Um, and and so they tried, we had several discussions, several discussions, and it just got worse and worse. And to the point where teachers just gave up and then we just kept going. And so at the end, so, you know, we did the scenes and it was over. And at the, I remember at the end of the course, uh, I had, uh, you know, a talk with our course leader and she's like, so do you think, you know, the, the class has gotten better, has gotten healed? I was like, no. I mean, we were so fractured after that. Absolutely not. Oh, and I'm sorry, before, right about a week before that, all that happened, we were filming um, a scene. So you get to, you have a partner and you can choose what on camera scene you're going to do. Uh, someone decided to film a scene from Django oh, Unchained. No. Oh no! Oh, oh no! I, oh, see, no. I just, <laughs> oh no! So I just—you're <laughs> cringing oh. because you all know what's coming. So I just so happened to sit next to the the other the, my fellow you know black woman who was in the course. We just happened to speak by each other because I think we have partners in the scene or something. And um, and she said, she looked at me. She said, "Did I just hear the N word?" I was like, "No, <gasps> I would have heard that." She's like, "Oh 
okay. So we go on rehearsal lines and then we hear it. <laughs> and I like hit her and she just looks at me and we just, and we just like just stop. Oh my God. And so finally they, they stop. And it's a short scene granted, but I should you not, they said it at least like seven times in this. Yes. Because, because in the whole movie, I think it's said like 200 times. Like, I mean, not that that's an excuse, but that's to be expected. So they end this scene, and money, this is with our tutor, I mean, our instructor, you know, this is all, the whole class is here. And so they end, and we were like, what just happened? And the response was, oh, well, it's just the movie. So one of the gentlemen was from Croatia, and the other was from, I think, Colombia. Um, but it was just, well, it's just a film, so what's the big deal? That was the first response to us saying, do you not see an issue with this? That was the very first thing to be said. So this is how it started. And then after all of that started was everything with the movie with Belle. So so this had been several months of this class. And so and and I think that's probably why I also was grateful for us moving online because that also meant that I no longer had to be in the same room as all this talk the toxic people who didn't value me as a person, who asked me repeatedly to push away aside my identity for sake of a class exercise, you know? <laughs> so and like so if I can if I had to you know, this pandemic has been so, so hard. People, if it meant that I could be home and in a safe, I was, I was not safe. That's the thing. I was not in a safe place. Yeah. And I, I did not feel open. I didn't feel supported by my, my peers. So how could I be trained as a better actor if I don't even feel like I'm in a safe space to get my best self? Of course, I'm going to shut down and close off because you've, you've, you've all shown yourselves to me. But that being said, that in itself taught me so much because that was kind of the first real awakening that I've had about myself and my relationship, my racial identity um, and others. Mm. And I think, you know, screw acting training, screw movement lying on the floor. That was a class in itself. Right. And how I'm going to enter the world, especially in this industry. And that taught me all I needed to know and how to handle it, how to go forward. I don't know if you happen to listen to the episode we did with the only other person so far that we've talked to who was, he's graduating like next month. Um, He's a black man who had to, he felt he had to come in. I think he, for good reason, he had to come into the program and say, you, you, this all needs to change. And he started it basically a movement. Um, Because the, the class constellation you're describing is sounds familiar to like, our class, which was 25 years ago, um, his class was, was it, what did he say it was half it's black? It was almost half black people mm-hmm. and half other, and there were, I think, Latinos and stuff like that too. But, but, but he, but yes, they. So it's, yeah. So it sounds like in, at your school, they hadn't had, was this maybe the first time that no, this had because blown up as an issue? No, because interesting is that they did the same um, movie they did bell two years ago and that's why the course leader was like i'm so surprised we did this and it went over perfectly look so you expected that this is gonna be every year you do this is gonna be perfectly fine like this is you you, you didn't foresee any issues with doing this with this class when we've already had several months of a class we already know who's the people who are kind of you know have have toxic like qualities who've kind of shown themselves people who don't see color god don't even (laughs) don't even so yeah so so just the obliviousness or the refusal to acknowledge you know and like i said this whole time she was off on you know off on vacation writing her book so she put this kind of in the lap of 
you know, her, her, of <laughs> the next line of succession. And yeah. And, um, and went on her merry way. Not that she would have had done any help if she were there, but still the sheer action of choosing this screen and then bouncing and then coming back like, Oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> it is. It's just so irresponsible. No, and I'm so sorry that I have no <laughs> it thoughts. So, it yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, I guess. I, and that, that is probably, yeah. Like you're saying that was a, a, such an important lesson that is, shaping probably i mean that is introducing the experience yep. that you're uh, unfortunately yep. bound to have absolutely multiple times and i have i've been career. fortunate enough to wear a fortunate unfortunate where i've never been aware i've never had issues there's never been any race issues with me i've always um just kind of gone through my life without ever having to validate my existence, which cannot be said for many people of color but that's just how i've been able to kind of get by and um I think it came at the right time because it came in a moment and an age where I was already kind of confident in myself. I already had my values instilled. I knew how to speak out and not just sit back and, and hold up and take it. So I'm, I'm glad it, it, it happened to me um, because I know that it, it can have a lot harsher effects on others. Um, and it's just, it's like I said, it's just all about navigating these waters and short times are changing. That doesn't mean shit. I mean, you know, at least not right now. <laughs> you, you still have to hold your own, you know, it's, it's, there's so no. much work doing yourself first. Have you seen that thing? I just saw it on social yesterday. The, the meter, like, it's so it's like the red is segre uh, is slavery. And then the uh, yellow is um, segregation. And then, you know, we're in this tiny little section that's, you know, such a small representation of our nation's history. Well, uh, at the at the risk of ending on a really heavy note, I still want people to know where to find you. So oh, God, I'm trying to be better you? with social media because I, yes. I think it's just the worst thing in the world. But I'm, I'm having a turning point in my life. So uh, find me on Instagram, I suppose. I'm just Leslie Nicole Ivory. Your website. You have a website. My website, LeslieNicoleIvory.com. It's all really easy. Just type in my name and you'll find me everywhere. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.